Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. I'd like to welcome to the show Bill Boggs, who has, as near as I can tell, done about everything there is to do in the entertainment business. And he's gotten an Emmy. He's a, a travel writer. He's a news anchor. He's a novelist. He was on TV, Miami Vice. He was an anchor man. I said that. Yeah. He, was, he worked with Court TV, gave them their best show. You, you've said anchor same... man. You said anchor man longer than I was an anchor man. <laughs> well, it's a it's a perk, you know. He was uh, eating on Food Network. Yeah, that and, was. Uh, and um, I then was I was reading some of the uh, Spike the Wonder Dog. And uh, the things that happen in this is the telling of his life story. A dog is telling his life story to the narrator. And he seems to be getting involved hilariously with the wide variety of entertainment venues, which parallels what you've been doing. So it therefore falls to a unique kind of satire. I wanted to ask you uh, in that, book, what was your favorite part that the, the trouble he gets himself into besides the obvious one about being fixed? Uh, yeah, well, the, yeah, the one about being neutered. The book, folks, is, is called The Adventures of Spike. I just happen to have it. I've had so many guests over the years holding up their <laughs> books, and now I'm holding up mine. That's actually the third book I wrote. The Adventures of Spike, the Wonder Dog, as told to Bill Boggs, it's about as you indicate, it's about a dog who has a master very much like me. The dog becomes a big TV star, and the dog is narrating the book. This is satire. This is R-rated. It's in the tradition of Family Guy. I think that the, um, I think that the chapter, uh, when they go to Las Vegas, um, I spent a lot of time in Las Vegas covering boxing when I was working for Showtime. Not, not blow by blow, but celebrities ringside and promoting the, or the big Tyson Holyfield fights. So I had a good grasp of what it's like at the MGM Grand Arena. And Spike the Wonder Dog is hired by this sleazy boxer who's an entrepreneurial kind of, whose name is Ike, I got money, Piles. And Ike, <laughs> I got money, Piles has been paid a lot of money to uh, actually to endorse uh, the Max X laxative drone, which has been designed to fly in heavy-duty laxatives to opioid addicts in the Midwest and drop them. And their motto is, uh, you plop when we drop. Anyway, so the Wonder Dog uh, has been hired to go up in the drone and fly into the arena and then land in the arena as part of Ike, I got money, piles walk into the ring. So that takes them to Vegas. And I was able to really I hit some funny stuff about, well, reality shows, uh, I created this place, the world's in Vegas. You're just waiting for it out there. 
the word the world's first gentleman's water park you know with these gentlemen's clubs with the dancers but how about a water park and so a lot of a lot of stuff happens and, and the wonder dog uh, as he generally does prevails also had a thing out there dan where it was a a group of holograms who can actually talk to people it's the dead celebrities hall of fame and at the time i wrote the book uh, Larry King was alive, and they got Larry King to MC the opening night because he looked the most dead. So that's it. I'm, that's the most material I can do from the Vegas chapter of the Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog, designed to make you laugh. He got involved with transcendental meditation. How was, what was that part in the book for the dog? Well, yeah, they go. That gave me the opportunity to um, satirize, um, you know, all the holistic things that are going on. Uh, there was some kind of a, a, a big event at Hunter College and uh, Spike wanted to go to the the, the, the meat eating clinic, but he, he didn't go there. He had to go to this uh, meditation clinic run by a guy named Yogi Bob, Bob, Yogi Bob, who was a certified board drain, certified Dwayne Reed meditation. And so he's teaching meditation and Gilbert Gottfried is in the front row. Gilbert Gottfried can't relax. He's been oh, in the class. Not, not at all. Yeah. So Gottfried, like when they go into the meditation and the guy is going through all this, just it, they're doing what Yogi Bhatt says. We're doing a visual meditation. So affix your eye on something and listen to my voice. So Gilbert Gottfried affixes his eye on the wonder dog. So the wonder dog is looking at him and somehow the wonder dog puts Gilbert Gottfried into a trance. And this leads to Spike creating a thing that makes a lot of money where they, they, where he and his master videotape him staring into the monitor, staring <laughs> into the street and people all over the world are relaxing, looking into Spike's eyes. That's actually only about eight pages of the book, but it was a fun thing. I, I've interviewed so many people on the shows over the years, Dan, that I've, I, I found it easy to write satire. I wrote a, a romantic novel several years ago that actually ended up being optioned by Renee Zellweger, but was never made into a movie. And I wrote a self-help book. But five years ago, I set out, I just committed myself for the rest of my life, essentially, to being a, a writer of satire. And believe me, it's still possible to find things you can satirize in our uh, in our culture. Are, are, are you working now on, on, on another novel, another that's good? Well, as a result, and, and I want to, by the way, first, it's an honor to be on with you, Dan. This is the first time we've ever talked to each other sitting down. <laughs> We're always standing at an event, you know, with a glass or something like that. So I thank you. and. When the Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog went out to press, one of the first reviews we got was from your great Dan's papers, which I've been reading for almost as long as you've been printing it. Bill Boggs channels Spike the Wonder Dog with hilarious results. So what I'm working on right now is a sequel to the book that picks up just as the pandemic is ending. So there's a lot of pandemic humor that we can get in there. Uh, like, for example, are you aware the people... That, that men in particular now are suffering from something called machine gun elbow by bumping their elbow every day. That's, that's, that's one of the, so I was able to get a lot of satire into them 165 pages in. And um, I, I think it's even harder hitting than the first book. 
right. I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Spike himself as he talks to uh, the narrator of the book. Yeah. Uh, is he a nice dog? Or is he how's he handling all this? Oh, the fame. How about yeah. Spike? Spike, you know, Spike would just assume be a house pet. He loves Bud, who is a talk show host, kind of based on me. And uh, but you know, he he believes you have to do what your your master your master. I know that's politically incorrect. By the way, <laughs> politically incorrect warning right on the cover of the book. So, uh, so yeah, Spike is just happy to go along and do what he needs to do. Um, he'd rather just be the highest honor he could be accorded is being a professional pet. But he's also a television star at the same time. He's handling the fame well. Okay, uh, that's good to know. Yes, now, it's important. It's you've a very also, important. You've also uh, doing something with YouTube that I was. What is yeah. that about? Well, you know, Dan, uh, when you reach a certain point in life, say like the last third of your life, and you've been blessed enough to work hard and have a decent career. For years, I was thinking, what am I going to do with essentially my video archive? I've always saved, not every show, I've done, I've done hundreds and a couple thousand individual broadcasts, but I've saved a lot of it. And so about, oh, it's about 2008, I started to spend my own funds to digitize these two-inch tapes, half-inch tapes, three-quarter-inch tapes and stuff and put it on something called Bill Boggs TV on YouTube as a repository of my work. It doesn't mean I couldn't, the, the Museum of Broadcasting has some, I've donated some tapes to them. It doesn't mean that an institution couldn't have my tapes, but it's been a pleasure to create a YouTube channel, Bill Boggs TV, where I do two things. One, it's a repository of work I've done. And two, when I do a Zoom cast, I recently had a little series called Trap Live where we interviewed some of my our, our music and comedy friends. Um, I can put my own new shows I'm creating for myself on there. If you give me a link to this, I will put this on Billbox TV as well. So it's Billbox TV on YouTube. It's completely free. Um, it's not a money-making enterprise. If you were doing it, you're smarter than I am. You would be making money from it. I'm just putting my videos up there, Dan. <laughs> Where where do you live in the Hamptons? How, what what town did you say? Well, undis we live in an undisclosed location. <laughs> we live in the Springs, off Springs Fireplace Road. Um, like my first, I, I, I love to talk about the Hamptons. My first um, experience was in West Hampton with my beloved friend uh, Robert S. Levine, MD, who, who lives out in East Hampton now. He had a house in West Hampton. I thought this is great. And then the next year. I somehow made my way out to Sagaponic and Bridgehampton and Southampton, and I went nuts at, at not, you know, this is 78, not the celebrity angle, just the raw beauty of the trees, the beach, the fields, the sky. And so I was able to um, rent a, a house, a beach shack, actually, from farmer John White. Sure. Right beach in Sagaponic and there's a hundred acre potato field behind us. I had that for six years, but I had to give it up because in addition to doing midday and I was doing comedy tonight on the weekends, I was working seven day weeks and I, I had no summer. So I had to give up the house. And then I was so upset at losing the house that I wouldn't go to the, you know, 
I'm like, in spite, I wouldn't go out to the Hamptons because that would upset me so much. <laughs> so finally I got over that and I was out for a wedding, staying overnight at my friend Bob and Joan Levine's house. And my girlfriend, Jane, my beloved girlfriend, Jane, who knows you, Jane, Jane Rothschild, we were walking, we we're walking down Main Street in, in East Hampton. And I said, Jesus, Jane, I love it out here. This is fabulous. I just love it. And Jane says, well, Bill, you're selling your rental property in Ocean City. Why don't you take the money and buy something here? I said, yeah, that's a good idea. I was thinking about just putting it in the, in the account. So I sold the house and Jane and I went looking and we find, found that what we call our patch of earth in Springs. And just, we love to be a supporter of of Guild Hall, supporter of Bay Street, supporter of the library. And uh, I can hardly wait to get back. We we haven't been there because of COVID. Yeah. We also have a place in Palm Beach, which Jane acquired. And we when the pandemic struck then, we just hunkered down right on the beach. And we're careful. And obviously, you're not talking to a hologram, I suppose. There you are. <laughs> Yeah, we don't live far apart from one another. I'm looking out on Three Mile Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it up here, too. You, you have done so much for the community in, in your own low-key Dan's way. You've done an awful lot for the community, and I, I've, I've looked up to that. And if I can ever help you with anything in the effort to support the community, um, you now have my phone number. Okay. That's great. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I just want to ask you one other thing. Of all these different things that come, that you've done in all these areas, what stands out? What do you what comes to mind the most as most remarkable that you you just think about every once in a while? I think that the I've been going through the house I grew up in, in Philadelphia. In fact, I'm in that house right now. I walked in the door when I was seven years old and I happened to be sitting at the table where I used to do, write, do, do my homework. And I've been going through things that I've saved for my career. And I would say that the accomplishment of a set goal, saying to myself, now I'm not saying this you know, to re-promote the book, saying to myself, you know, I've been on television all these years, I'm just going to be a writer now. I'm not going to chase another TV job in my, in my 70s and accomplishing the goal, setting a goal that within my skill set and accomplishing the goal. So with that in mind, I think that sitting at Elaine's restaurant with Richard Baker, who had been my intern on my show, Southern Exposure in North Carolina, and then became a lifelong friend and saying, you know, Richard, I'm doing midday, you're working at Lincoln Center, we're both working for the man, why don't we start our own production company? I'm just sitting there in lanes, like nine o'clock at night. But that's a good idea because we get along very well. And we, we were a good fit with each other. So we got up and we did it. We created a production company that produced music shows for MTV. We, uh, Ian Hunter, Mink, Mink DeVille, Frank Zappa. We shot Bobby Short at the, at the, cafe, at the cafe Carlisle. Uh, a cultural documentary on the Stuttgart Ballet. And then we hit a home run with a show called Comedy Tonight, which again was just, you know, we're sitting talking, what about a late night show, not expensive to do, that just features stand-up comedians? 
There was nothing like that on television in, in 1985, nothing, 84, 85. So we ended up selling and having distributed to 121 stations. It was on Channel 5 in New York. And because I was hosting it, people thought it was just a local show. The thing was on all over the country for two years. And that was really a goal that we accomplished. We, we, booked, we booked 423 comedians over two years and auditioned more than 2,000 comedians. And some of them have gone on the phenomenal career. So sure. I look back on Comedy Tonight as as that kind of goal that I achieved. And I've been in, I just, one of the things I discovered in the basement here was a picture of me. I wish I had it, but it's downstairs of my comedy team that I was in in high school and college. Bogs, <laughs> our headshots, you know. The world of comedy is, um, you know, not the power of laughter. As Norman Lear says, you know, you can actually keep you, keep you young. And, and I believe that. Look at well, you. Thank you, you, you have a wonderful sense of humor. Yes. Wow. Yes. I try. I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, I've enjoyed oh. it very much, and uh, I'd love to get together sometime just to go over stuff. We can probably look out the window and see each other. Some of it, we're so close. I would love and, that. I, I would love it. I would I honestly not blowing smoke here. Well, I wish I was, but I'm not blowing smoke. I've admired you for years and everything you've done. So when I heard about this, I've just said, oh, I'm in. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. I'm talking to Bill Boggs. I want to thank you for being on my show. We'll see you soon out and about and standing up. Yeah, standing up. But we'll, we'll have a sit down at some point. <laughs> okay. Again. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>